Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Business Aspirin. I'm your host, Clint Janelle, and today I have with us Lynn Snagowski with Polish and Prep Solutions. Consul- I'm still doing that. Lynn, I'm killing it today. I'm Prep struggling. Prep and, and Polish, Polish Consultants. Prep and Polish Consultants. Guys, I apologize. I'm really screwing this one up today, and I can only start and stop the record so many times. Lynn, thank you for your patience with me. Uh, I know you're not sleeping much, and I haven't slept much the last couple of days either. We're just going to struggle through this one together. How about that? All good. I, I do have a little sustenance to try to get me through. A little nice. energy drink, maybe it'll wake me up. Lynn, tell us about yourself, my friend. Well, that's a loaded question about me. I turned 51 on September 21st, and it feels like I've been working since I was about 15. Sure. <laughs> I actually, I have been. First job ever was at a restaurant called Wendy's. The high, the <laughs> high end then, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I cut my teeth in the working world there, and uh, moved myself up to owning a few companies now. Currently, I have uh, three companies that are open, and a, and a uh, a charitable foundation that we just started. So I'm pretty busy. I've got uh, Prep and Polish Consultants, which is I have a project I'm on right now. I'm actually in my vehicle doing this podcast because I had to be up here in Ardmore, Oklahoma. We are. Um, we're involved in concrete admixtures and concrete placement and the overseeing of concrete projects, watching concretes like watching paint dry. Obviously it's kind of boring to watch sometimes if you don't know what's going on. I also have uh, a, ca- a company that makes the chemicals, uh, global polishing systems. And then we have another company that uh, does music. So we're in the record business in Nashville and Dallas with Get Joe Records. Those three businesses keep me hopping. Yeah, I bet they do. I bet they do. So let's talk about that for a minute. So Wendy's was the first thing. And at some point in the journey, you're like, "Mm, I want to do my own thing. I want to have my own business. What was the next job after Wendy's? Or what was the thing that said, Lynn, you need to be doing X. And then what was the thing like you got into music before you got into the concrete world, correct? Um, yes. You know, when I said I went worked at Wendy's, then I opened three businesses, you know, or multiple businesses. I there's a lot of a lot of life happened between here sure. and there. You know, living in Toledo, Ohio, I grew up, you know, with seven brothers and sisters. You know, I made I was the I was a seventh out of eight. And uh, you know, we just didn't have much money, and I think that was the driving force that made me go to work early. Number one, back then we had to pay for our own long-distance calls, so we didn't have cell phone at sure. that point. And uh, so, you know, I'd get yelled at for calling a, a girl out of town, which was really only a half hour away, but it was still yeah. a long-distance call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I, I had to, I had to make my own money if I was going to have gas for a vehicle or anything, and. Um, but I always knew that I would own businesses. You know, I played college baseball at the University of Toledo. I played at Henry Ford Community College, played a little 
minor league baseball, not for any of the, the major league teams. I played in an independent league. And, uh, you know, I made a lot of relationships throughout my life that were good relationships. And I just tried to never burn a bridge. I think that was one of my biggest things in life is you never know who you're going to run across again. And in fact, the house that I just bought, the guy that did the loan, was the guy that introduced me to the head coach at Henry Ford Community College because he was a shortstop there. I met him at a at a uh, Colorado Rockies tryout many years ago, and he happened to just be living outside of Fort Worth at the same time I live in the Dallas area, and he did loans. So here it is. You know, my old college buddy did my loan. We were in Michigan when we met. You just That's never crazy. know. You never know That's when you're exactly going to run right. It's funny, so I had a conversation with someone like that earlier this week, which was, he's like, I, I, I eat based off conversation. And it's kind of true, right? It's like, do right by people, have conversations with people, treat them right, be helpful. And that's where things come from, right? Which is kind of what you're saying. I love it. Carry on. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, it's okay. No, my, I, I, it's your podcast that I'm getting long-winded because there's a lot of things that have taken me to where I've gotten now. You know, I'm very grateful for the things I have. I would say being grateful has a lot to do with any of the success that I've had. I make sure that I put that out into the universe because I want to get back what I put out. You know, if, I, if I'm if I'm putting out a bunch of negativity every day, every day I can't have any success. It's not going to happen. So my current positions now are really based on relationships. I just, I look for holes in certain markets. And when I find them, if it, if it looks like something that could monetize, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a go. But if it's something that I can monetize and scale, then I, I try to attack on it a little bit and see, if, you know, I don't go all in right off the bat. You know, I, I don't have you know, unlimited resources to try all these different businesses. But if it, if it makes sense, I'll go at it. You know, you're not going to see me opening up a t-shirt or hat business or anything like that, trying to sell things online. Um, I just, I don't feel like making hundreds of dollars, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not that, not that there's, there are people that make a lot of money selling t-shirts and hats, but I don't have the focus for it. So, right. Right. It's hard to do. Uh, yeah. And a lot of logistics involved in trying to bring in a hat and sell it and ship it and package it. And like, yeah, I get it. I'm with you on some of that stuff. Uh, it's something It's something that, you know, I'll allow my kids to play with uh, mm-hmm. and see if they can just kind of taste the entrepreneurial side of things. But, yeah, there's other bigger things and bigger fish to fry than chasing some of that at some level. I would, Yeah, I'd rather give a hat away that's got my logo on it and have somebody constantly looking at that $20 hat that I gave them. Kind of like the cup. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's exactly right. something like this, and yes. these and these things are amazing that that uh, ice shaker does, and so then people want this cup around regularly, so it makes it great, right? Right. But what would you pay for that, you know, and then sell it for whatever that profit oh, yeah, is? How yeah. many people do you got to touch to do it? I just, I just yeah. didn't. I don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> That's a nice cup. <laughs> right. Right. Like, it's difficult to kind of make that all work. Some things I can't wrap my head around, Landon. It's those are some of those things, like. No, let's. I don't want to get out of bed for, you know, probably five dollars worth of profit if you did something like that to navigate it. Uh, right. I, I'd, I'd rather do something bigger for sure. Well, so in the cup. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that you know, I'm starting to get into the private equity world because 
because companies come to me and try to buy a company or they want to know if they can merge in or, you know, what we can do, because we've got some technologies at one of the companies that, you know, global policy that make it, you know, very appealing uh, for a much larger company to take. And, you know, I don't know. And I, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry, I'm thinking about the the cup again. I'm I'm so glad I lost <laughs> the cup. <laughs> but you know, anyways, you go ahead. I'll, I'll so, come back to the point. We'll circle back to it. We'll figure out what it was. Uh, but when we start talking about you jumping into multiple lenders industries, one of the things you said was you find a hole and you mm-hmm. try to fill that hole. And that's a big part of what business aspirin is. Is like there are holes in businesses that we're trying to help people understand how to fix. So what? What is it that you see or what do you look for to go, this is something that I could potentially jump into? What's the trigger for, hey, that might be an opportunity. What's made you get into the, I mean, music and concrete are strange. Gotcha. That's a strange combo, right? So what it makes is, you go? It is weird. Well, for me, and the reason I got into music was because I was an artist at one time and I made some connections on the uh, executive side of the music industry that I, I just never got rid of. Uh, one of our business partners is Dolly Parton's uh, producer for 30 some years, okay. Kent Wells. And, you know, uh, between his connections and his talent in the studio, uh, we've been able to do some pretty incredible things. So that was an opportunity that came up. It was offered to me. I knew all the right people. All we had to do was apply some money to it and and then make sure I was at some fundraisers and some meetings. And next thing you know, we've got a 13-song rock record with Artemis Pyle. The, the, uh, um, he's the drummer the rock and roll hall of fame inducted drummer from uh, Leonard Skinner that survived the plane crash. We signed him to a recording contract. And then we did a, we did this album that's full of all this Leonard Skinner music with all these superstars on it. Four years ago, I would have never thought that I'd have been doing that, but there was a, there was a hole there and it was a, it was timing. It just, that yeah. was just timing. So that's why the music things there, as far as what I look for, um, in the concrete world, it's really, and this ties back into the point that I was trying to make earlier that I lost my train of thought, you know, when private equity gets involved in these businesses, they look for businesses that can scale without the owner. They want to see your EBITDA. And then when they look at that EBITDA, they want to see if, if the owner's involved, they're going to give you a one times multiplier, Basically, because if you're it, whatever you're whatever that uh, amount of revenue is that you're valued at, they'll give you a one time multiplier if you have to be involved in that business when they purchase it. If they can maybe put you on a contract for a while and then move you out of it and then scale it with other people, you're you get an eight to 10 times, 15 times multiplier. It's worth a lot more money if you're not involved. So I try to go after things that I can train myself out of my position. I'd like to not even be the CEO. I just, I just want to be, I want to help grow it, train the people how to be with customers and, and opportunities that come to the businesses so that we can grow the revenue to a certain point where we actually start raising eyebrows. Cause there's two rules. There's two schools of thought out there. You build a business so that you can grow it and make it amazing. And then you grow a business and you need to have an exit strategy because you don't want to just do this till you're 80. Well, I hope I lived to 80. Um, <laughs> you know, 
this is the thing. And I'm a firm believer that you do need to have an exit strategy. And I don't mean you're looking for an escape. I think you need to have a plan because when I sell a company, I want to go to the next thing. I don't want to just sit. I'm not just sitting around. So I think an exit strategy is pretty important. So I'm looking for business to invest in that I think I can take to a much higher level. And, you know, the having a $1 million business is really not that difficult in this world we live in, but a million dollars isn't cool anymore. Right. You know, uh, I remember when a million dollars meant something, it just, it's just not, (laughs) no, it's just not. Um, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to belittle somebody who's making $40,000 a year because I've made $40,000 a year, uh, $40,000 a year. Uh, but I don't know how, I don't know how I would be able to have a lifestyle that I would enjoy in the world we live in right now. And I, and I really feel for the kids that are coming out of school with these college degrees that just, they're just good luck getting a job. that's even going to yeah. cover your, your student loans. Right. Right. So anyways, it's, it's, it's I, an interesting I, world for sure, because when you say that sort of thing, um, you start looking at like a lot of our listeners are from the fire and water restoration space. So when you mention the private equity, private equity is kind of a big thing right now in that space. And it's almost like a meat market, man. It's crazy. You go to a trade show and you're almost getting heckled to have a conversation with someone and trying to navigate where that's at and put you on a spot where you can have these conversations. And I think it's important that our listeners and anybody that's running any type of business is aware that an exit strategy is important and an option because a lot of people start a business and they're going like, I'm going to start this business and I'm just going to run it forever or pass it down to my kids and pass it down to their kids and whatever the case may be. But like truly a better strategy is to be able to find an exit for what you're doing and move on Mm -hmm. to the next thing. And you're right. Like, If you have to be the one there, if you are the business, then you're not worth as much than if you can scale it. And that's part of what we're trying to convey when we do this podcast is we're trying to help those guys that are out there see those blind spots, see those pain points, and hopefully find ways to navigate around them so they don't have to constantly be involved. And and then they do hit that million dollar mark or, or suddenly hit the $5 million mark and kind of crest right. into other environments and learn how they do that and suffer from the pains that guys like you and I have experienced trying to go, okay, how do we do this? How does right. this work? You know, not, not having someone to hold my hand through it and just kind of fumbling through figuring it out uh, is kind of where I was. I, I didn't have the money to have a consultant teach me how to do some of this stuff. Right. right? It was okay. Well, let's get after it. Let's get to work. So let's talk about, Let's talk about like from that perspective, like you're going out and starting businesses and finding holes. Um, and a lot of it is relationship based. The thing you said is don't burn a bridge, make connections, essentially be a good person, keep your communication open with people. Do we say you're going to do all those things are important, right? Um, what is something that you wish you knew when you started that would have helped this journey? Boy, I wish I knew who the presidents were going to be every time they were going to get elected. (laughs) Um, 
and it's not probably for the reasons <laughs> you might be thinking. It, it's, it's more for the, yeah. um, the economic the, side of what happens, right? Yeah, because yeah. you would think, because I, I work in oil and gas quite a bit now out in West Texas with one of my customers. Actually, this, one of this, this customer here is up in Oklahoma, but they're in West Texas. <laughs> They have, uh, they're a cat dealer. They make, you know, they sell equipment and service equipment and they go up and down as the, as the price of a barrel of, of oil goes. And when it starts getting down to like 40 or, or back, if you can remember when oil went uh, negative, I mean, it was, it was zero there were Stop some butts puckering. There yeah. was well, there were some butts puckering because they they also sell all the all the generators for these these oil rigs all over the place and and fracking is a big thing out there. And when when you start seeing the price of oil go up, when it hits eighty, we all start dancing a little bit because we know they're going to start spending money again, and my family gets to eat a little bit better. Um, so it's. With that particular business, with, with with that one, I really would like to know more about, um, you know, what the political cycles were really going to be yielding. Because I can tell you, with with Donald Trump, when he was in office and he imposed tariffs on China, it affected some of the goods that we bring in twenty five percent. Sure, those prices translate to the customer. They have to. I, and so I, I'd like to know more about that from a strategic standpoint. Sure. But and I, I wish I had more control other than my, my one vote. But this is what it is. And um, so, you know, and, and there's ways to make money on both sides of that, you know, whether a Republican or a Democrat or whoever gets there. There's there is a down over here, but there's an up over here. And you got to know how to play those cycles through your business. Otherwise, you'll fail. So, you know, you can get mad all you want about Joe Biden um, and get mad all you want about Donald Trump. There are pluses and minuses to both of them business wise. Uh, ethically, we could get if, into that. If later. you know how to work the, the impact of what's going to take place. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. And a lot of our guys, you know, the listeners that are service industry like related. For the most part are not driven so much by the economy. They're necessities. In the fire and water restoration space, something's going to happen. And so the insurance company's either paying or they're not paying regardless uh, of who is present or what the economy is doing. And so that's on that side a little less significant, but it also impacts greatly the cost of them performing those services. And so being aware of that, I get, I get where that could be valuable and important. And I appreciate that comment. So you've got multiple things going, multiple businesses going. Yeah. How do you split your time? How do you make decisions on splitting your time? What, like for, for our listeners, some of them have a job. They're trying, like they have a job, they work, they're trying to start a business or have started a business trying to get it going and they have a family. So in some cases, there are things that they've got to navigate to, to figure it out. You obviously are making decisions that are impactful both for family and you personally and financially, how do you go about making the decision on what needs to be addressed and what's important? Well, this time of year, when it comes to the concrete business, um, it's based on when project schedules start to click. Um, there's some downtime. I'm not working 24 seven, 365. I have, I have some days where, you know, 
I'm, I'm wondering what the next thing's going to be for me to go do. Um, but usually when it comes in, it's a whale that I'm killing. So I've got to deal with, um, I've got to deal with what's coming. So I spent a lot of time planning and preparing. I add, uh, I add equipment vehicles and things that I need to try to automate what I'm doing so that I'm not so involved. Again, this goes back to the private equity thing. I would like somebody to come, somebody should be able to come in, follow this handbook and run that company without me there. You know, I try to, when it comes to the music thing, again, it's, it's project specific. You know, how much time do I, I have other people that I delegate things to. I pay a project manager full time in Nashville, uh, a guy named Kurt Webster. The guy is, you got to look up Kurt, Kurt Webster.com. Uh, he's pretty amazing guy. He's done a lot with everybody there. And, you know, it's good to have people that know what they're doing, uh, in the right place. Um, I've got Dave Fowler, the other, my other business partner at the record label, who is, uh, very integral to what's going on in the studio. And I mean, we're at the point right now, we're releasing the record, uh, looks like in November, there's a black Friday deadline basically for music. Everybody tries to get it out before then. Um, otherwise the buyers don't buy it. So we're, we're published through Sony. We've got, we've got, uh, Sony Orchards doing our distribution on the record. So we have lots of meetings, lots of attorney conversations dealing with legal a lot. Um, and when my phone rings, I answer it. That's another big thing about my business is I, I'm going to, I'm going to Cabo San Lucas next week. I'll actually leave tomorrow. I'll be gone for seven days. And while I'm there, I'm on vacation, but if, one of those businesses calls, I answer and I may not answer right away, but I'm getting back to it pretty quick. And that's one of my big pet peeves. We'll talk about pet peeves real quick. When I call somebody and they don't get back to me or I text them and don't get back to me, I'm apparently not somebody they're, they really need in their world. So I move on pretty quick because I just don't have a lot of space for chasing things. Um, and, and that's not a, you know, it's not an arrogance thing. It's just a life short. I'm 51. I'm halfway to 100. And what am I going to do with the next 50 years? Chasing people around that don't want to talk to me. You know, first time you and I tried to get together, I felt so horrible that I had screwed up the time. Um, I was going to definitely make it up to you. And I'm going to make it up to be on this call, too. There's, We'll have a little gift package for you from Get Joe Records here. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so, I love it. I but, love it. But, yeah, that's I'm real big on that. And then build that relationship. I'll know you for the rest of your life. Yeah, right. You know. Right. And we're here in the same market ultimately. So we can get together and actually have lunch and stuff and build that Very relationship. Good. And I, I'm a big fan of doing that as well. Uh, I think communication is important. I think following up is important. Mm -hmm. um, I am okay with email and text, but I'm also, I prefer phone calls. I would prefer to have a conversation with you. Um, like short things where we got to just, Hey man, what time are we meeting? You know, text is fine. Right. But uh, to build a relationship with someone, you've got to be able to communicate with them and, um, yeah, I think that's significant and important. Um, I, I I like what you're saying in regard to following up and following back up. And um, in some cases, I think our listeners, you know, when you're younger, which some of the guys are, and they're just getting started in business, you got to chase everything a little harder uh, where mm -hmm. you and I aren't necessarily required quite as much to 
you know, if somebody doesn't like, I don't have to hound you for your business. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Right. Like you reached out to me originally, you wanted this stuff done. I'm trying to follow back up with you. I'll give you a couple opportunities at that. And then I'm moving on. Um, and I'm with you on that too. Like, it's hard to do that. But for a lot of our listeners, I think it's important that they go like, you need the work, <laughs> you need the work. So you need to follow up with that person and find out if they're ready for you. But at the same time, don't sound desperate because sounding desperate is difficult as well. Right. Well, I, I think there's something to be said about selling something to somebody that they absolutely need and selling something to somebody that you want them to need. Very different sales approach. And I worked for a company that was based in Bulgaria when I got into the concrete industry. Names They were called Super Abrasive. And they have a very different sales approach. They want to they want people to come buy from them. They don't want you to go sell to them. And the only way that works is if you've got something they need and you can market it very well, let them know you got it. They'll come. Sure. If you build sure. it, they will come. Well, you know, fire and the industries you're talking about, people need it. I guess you just need to make it really easy for people to get a hold of you at the top of the list. And you should have plenty of work coming your way, whether you can close it or not. I don't know much about that industry, but you know, I guess that would be, I don't know if it's commoditized and driven by price the way a lot of the things that I do are, yeah, um, sure. they start it's, shopping you, but it's, yeah. it's interesting in this space that it's really not so price driven, but that, that people are always so price conscious. They're used to trying to get the best deal. So if your insurance company's paying for it, it's irrelevant what the price is. If the only thing you're ever going to be out of pocket is deductible, as long as right. the price is reasonable, like, one company can't be four times the price of another company and still be, you know, the insurance company is going to throw a fit and navigate some of this stuff. But getting guys in the restoration space to diffuse prices and objection objection is really hard, uh, but it really isn't um, a major issue in the restoration space. But for the HVAC guys that listen, yeah. For, for anybody that, you know, knows you on LinkedIn and realizes when we get this posted and they're like, oh, let's look at the concrete stuff. It's certainly it's price driven, right? People want to know the price. And so you have to navigate your service above and beyond pricing at some level too, which is, you know, there, there's, there's ways to navigate all of it and it becomes tougher and tougher to, to, to figure out. But, um, okay. So let's talk about, well, let's talk about this. What, what is a mistake that people make in business that's hard to fix or a mistake that you've made that was tough to fix? You know, Boy, that's a great question because now I'm I'm going back to I was late to a meeting one time that was very very important early on in my professional career and I never recovered from it with that particular customer and they're a very big entity and the th I used to sell land surveying equipment when I first got into the construction world I've done a lot of things and you know when you're trying to get a $120,000 global positioning system into somebody's hands who could potentially buy, you know, $10 million worth of this product, it was a, it was a big meeting and I was in my twenties and, you know, I just, I decided that last night was more important than this morning. And I think that was as a young person, as an older person now, looking back at my young self, I could just kick my own ass all the way across the street right now for that. Now, does it affect me overall in a bad way? No, I think I learned from it, but I, 
being 10 minutes early, what is, it, what is it? If you're five minutes early or 10 minutes late is the approach that I take to meetings now. And, you know, I got on this call first time was about 15 minutes early you know you weren't on yet but you were preparing so i just took the time to you know look through some of my notes and things then i came back to you but i i know this um you know being punctual has been one of those things that i just i'm not a guy that just runs through the airport and steps on a plane as it's taken off i can't do it i am so overly I want to make sure I'm there. If they're going to cancel the flight, great, but I'm going to be there for it. Right. You know, I don't right. want to miss. And I think, you know, you must be present to win in life. You've got to be there. If you're not there, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. And that's really a big part. They say, oh, just showing up is a big portion of it. It really is. You know, if you show up and you don't, you're not presentable, you know, and uh, don't take this in a weird way, but you're a good looking guy. And if you called on me, um, I'd be more apt to let you in because you're, you know, you keep your beard nice, you keep your hair combed and you're, you're taking care of your hygiene. And um, these are the things that I kind of stress on my kids. You know, I've got two boys in their early twenties and uh, the oldest is very entrepreneurial. Okay. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to rule the world, but right. I've got to pull his reins back. Hey, take those earrings out when you go see a customer. I know you, I know the girls love it, but you know, go. And it's not because it's a bad thing. If you were selling bass guitars, I'd say, go for it. Yeah, but you're going into an engineer's hard. office. You go into an engineer's office. You want to look engineering, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know. That's just kind of the the way I look at things, and I, and I probably am not answering your question directly, but no, but like would... you're, it's good information, right? Like yeah. you, you did answer the question directly too, in terms of initially the question was something that's hard to recover from, and you're like, make sure you show up on time. Yeah. Being on time is important because, like, you have an example of the fact that you lost an opportunity, and that clearly helped put you on a path for more structure for other things so that you weren't late to other meetings Absolutely. after that. You went, Oh my God. Absolutely. So I think that's significant. And hopefully our people hear that and they go, Good. okay, being on time. Uh, sometimes there are things that are completely out of your control. And, and especially in some place like Dallas, you may be on 35 and suddenly stuck for an hour and a half because of an accident. There's no way to get off. And it's just part of what life is, but as best as you can control it, do what you say you're going to do and be on time because I'm with you. Like, it's important that you don't waste someone else's time because that could cost you an opportunity and it's significant to, to be present and to be a part of that. Uh, and I, I appreciate that, man. I, I like what you're saying there. What are some of the biggest pains you've come across in business and then how, how do you oh, solve them? You know, I, I wish that my credit was better when I first got into business years ago um, because it, it kept me from, from doing some things and, and taking some opportunities. I didn't come from a family with a lot of money. So everything I did had to come out of my own wallet. So, and going and begging for money from people was just something I wasn't very good at. So um, I had to, if I wanted to, if I wanted to do more with what I was hunting, I needed to hunt for bigger things to have more money to do the next thing. I just, I just wished I would have been a little bit more prepared for that. I wish they would have taught more about money in school. Um, they just don't teach about that. They teach you how to count and things like that, but they don't teach you about 
interest in how you can loan money to your company and make money off of the loan from your company and, and, and not how to avoid taxes, but just really more about the financial aspects of owning a small business. Sure. Cause let's face it. I, I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm never going to own a company that has, you know, 10,000 people at it, but odds are real good that I'll be a small business till I'm out of business and whether I've sold it or I've closed it. And it's, you know, being a small business, you really have to know a lot about, you really should know a lot about taxes and how to take advantage of certain things. Um, you know, not everything's a bad thing when it comes to taxes. It's just, you know, I just, I wish I would have known more about money earlier. I think, because if I would have had a little bit more before I got started, I could have done more earlier, Sure, Sure. but I don't have any regrets. Things the way they're they're going the way they are. So. And I've had this conversation with others on the podcast too, that it's having your credit in a place or being prepared to make decisions that help your business sometimes means don't go buy that. What would now be $60,000 truck that you don't need. Uh, and put $20,000 worth of upgrades on it because you want to look cool. Instead, <laughs> buy the truck that's going to allow you to make money and use that truck to make money. And then when you can afford the other truck later because you've done what you needed to do, then go buy the truck. But don't right. like don't try to have to show off anymore. And at some yeah. level, as a business owner, you have to, at some level, the business needs to look substantial enough to be able to provide the service so people have confidence in you. But one of the things that's interesting is like, you know, if a guy owns a Ferrari dealership, he doesn't need to drive a Ferrari because he doesn't have to show off anymore. He has the Ferrari dealership. Um, And so it's those environments where don't be so concerned about what people think about you that you don't protect your credit and finances in a manner that allows you Mm -hmm. to be more successful and grow. So I I hear what you're saying there and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you need a do you need a fifteen thousand dollar watch? Yeah. In fact, I deal with billionaires that own huge companies. This cat dealer, they're, they're just, they're, they, they're not, they're very liquid people. They have jets, they have things and they're, they're, they're really awesome folks. And I learn a lot from them. Um, And I actually get, when you can get mentored by your customers who are spending money with you, that's, that's a, a relationship. Yeah. And that's a big, big one. I'm getting big. paid to learn from you. Awesome. I'm literally Great. out working on his concrete. And I asked him a question about, well, how do you pay for this? And how do you pay for this? Cause I know you've got the money, but do you use the, how do you leverage the bank? And, you know, and then I'm, I'm learning all these things about how, how important your relationships are and when to use bank money, when to use private money to do things. And it's, it's really, it's, it's mind blowing how the game is played at that level. Cause I'm not at that level, sure, but, sure. but it's something to aspire to. And well, and to anyways. learn from, right. Because that's what leads to those sure. opportunities. That's exactly what this podcast is about. Lynn is yeah. seeing those opportunities and finding them. And then, maybe at some point regurgitating them. So maybe, you know, we have lunch in a few weeks here in DFW and we build this relationship and we do a podcast again and it's talking about, sure. hey man, did you know that you can do this with finances to do that? And that'd be a whole different thing that we could teach listeners about how some of that works. And that would be awesome too. I, sure. I get it. So Lynn, you're on a job site sitting there. Um, I know you got some things to accomplish. You've been up 
essentially all night watching this concrete project happen and dealing with some of those mm-hmm. things uh, for this customer. Um, so I want to be mindful of your time. Uh, but I, I, I appreciate you being on here. Really kind of just boils down to, you know, in this conversation, is there something else? Like if you were looking at it and you're going to to your 20-year-old son that wants to be an entrepreneur, what's the thing, like the thing you would say about somebody that's wanting to start a business and be in business for themselves and go grow? Like, what are you telling them? What are you telling our, our listeners? I don't know if there's a thing. I think there's like three things. One, and this right. is what I always tell my oldest boy. I say, look, first thing is you got to find something that you can turn into profit. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something you love doing. That's the other thing that he has to fight all the time. Oh, I don't have any passion for that. And I say, like, but you got specialized knowledge in it and you can turn this into financial gain if you, if you do it properly, you know, and find something where you can use your personality to open doors. And I know not everybody's a personality that is perfect for being in front of customers, but if you, if you have that, um, you're going to open a lot of doors and the opportunities are there. You know, Richard Branson said it best. If you find a good opportunity, you take it, figure it out later, say yes, and then figure out how to, attack it. And, you know, and if you don't, and if you're not the right person to be in front of customers, get that person in your life quick, go find that person. Not every one of us is meant to be the phone person. You can tell, you know, right away when you talk to somebody and they've got a great phone personality, there are people I've called and I've called offices and, and a woman will answer the phone and I feel better just having her answered the phone. She's just, Oh gosh, she's awesome. Yeah, then you sure. got the, then you got the guy that's, you know, A&M battery. What do you want? You know, it's yeah. like, uh, God. What do you need? What do you need? So, yeah. 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 So those are the things, you know, just make sure it's something that you can make money with and, you know, do the math, get the paper out, do the long math, take a good hard look at the stupid math and see if this is something that you can actually turn into money before you jump in. And if it's not there, you go to the next thing. I love it, man. I love it. Like I've said for years with people that, you know, if I could make my passions into income, that would be spectacular, but I don't know how I'm going to monetize going skiing or mountain biking or, you know, playing around all the time. Right. Right. So it's really tough to make that work. And so I tell people all the time, the problem with doing that though, too, is if you make your passion, your business, suddenly it's your business and not your passion anymore. You're tied up in a business. And I know guys, like I know a lot of guys that have done things like that where, Oh man, I love bicycles and racing bicycles and everything bicycles. And they open a bike shop and then, all they're doing is working on bicycles. They're no longer racing bicycles or riding bicycles or doing the things they love about bicycles. So find something that you can do that's going to be profitable that gives you a chance to go play on your bicycle, but not be bicycles. Yeah, I there it is. I love it. I love it. I think that's great advice, man. Well, Lynn, man, I am so grateful to have you on here uh, and we will certainly be in touch and we'll coordinate a time to chat and have some lunch and do that. Uh, for now, go watch some concrete dry, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, Thanks man. Thanks for being on. This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, follow us on Apple Podcasts 
or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.